Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's good to see you guys. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Who's happy to be alive? Who is alive? Yeah, just good to see that you're all alive. Ah, kind of feeling overwhelmed, actually. Just the goodness of God and the magnificence of Jesus. So just take another moment just to connect in and tune into his heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you that you're in us. You're upon us. You're amongst us. Thank you that you're Emmanuel. God with us. I thank you that you're not on the outside somehow we're begging you to come in, but I thank you, those of us that know you, we have you on the inside. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I thank you that we're in you. I thank you for the union that you've won for us on the cross. Where it's hard to see where we end and you begin. And where you end and we begin. Because you've united us with you. And we honor you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for your perfect sacrifice. Thank you for your obedience. Being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for doing what we couldn't do. Thank you for taking your life and making it ours. And taking our death and making it yours. And doing a glorious exchange where we no longer are dead in our sins. But now we're alive to you. And we're now seated with you. And we're now full of the Holy Spirit. And we're now living in your love. And I thank you that's not just for us as individuals. But that's for the whole world. Your massive, massive heart of love. And we honor you, Lord. Thicken your presence, Lord. Just take a moment. Just say thank you. What is it that you are so grateful for? Just connect. Just say thank you, Holy Spirit. Just draw on him. Just worship him. Just take a little longer just to worship him and adore him. We adore you, Lord. We adore you. We adore you. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you for your unending love. Thank you for making us sons in Inheritors of the kingdom. Heirs of God, co-heirs with you, Jesus. I thank you for sharing your inheritance, Jesus. Thank you for sharing your Father with us. Thank you for sharing your Spirit with us. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Thank you for your gift of yourself. That we would co-reign and co-inherit. And live with you. 
Flip the gospel's good news. Wow. Whew. So thick in your presence, Lord. Ay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want more. Just have a, have a drink of the Holy Spirit, okay? Ay, yeah. Just have a drink. Come on, have a drink. Drink in his love and drink in his goodness and drink in his beauty and drink in his majesty. Drink. And if you're not used to, you think, what the heck is he talking about? If you're not used to that sort of language in church, then what, what I'm really saying is that God has food and drink for us, which is himself. And he loves it when we drink him. It's not just about communion. It's actually about him taking in his life into us and enjoying his life and his love in us and, and, and drinking in his goodness and drinking in his kindness and drinking in his love. All of, actually, all of that is actually who he is. It's not just what he does. But, so if we're drinking in his goodness, we're drinking him in. If we're drinking in his love, we're drinking him in because he is love and he's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and he has more for us. He's got more for us than we know. He's got more for us than we experience, that we've experienced so far. More. So good. So good. So, so good. So good. So good. Wow, over the last couple of weeks, last three weeks actually, three weeks ago Ash spoke to us about the power of our tongue and our ability to create the world around us by the life that we can speak out. And that, that we have life in our tongues that actually enables us to speak. Jesus, I've been just meditating on, uh, on Mark chapter 11, and this is sort of hopefully by way of introduction, that um, you know, Jesus says if you have faith, he says have faith in God. If you have faith in God, you can say, you can speak to the mountain, be removed, and it will be removed. In in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, you know, the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith as like a little grain of mustard seed, then you can speak to this mulberry bush, be removed and go into the sea, and it will obey you. We have power in our words. And then Duncan, over the last couple of weeks, has been sharing with us about how, how you know, everybody in this world are, are infants, children of God, but actually through Christ we be, can become children of God and sons of God, heirs of God, and that we are now, because we're you know, inheritance, inheritors of the kingdom of God, we're actually kings and priests, we're sons of inheritance, and, we, and what we do matters, and how we live, and, and, and we have the ability to see and to create in others, or help other people see their true identity, and as they see their true identity, they start to see who Christ is. It's all glorious stuff, and this week I've been like, yeah, 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 and then I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me the other day, yeah, but how much do you believe it? It's a great message. 
It's a great thing to espouse to. We can talk about it. We can see it. We can think about it. But if we don't live it, Jesus says that the person in, 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 in Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, Jesus said that somebody who hears my words and does them is like a person that builds a house upon the rock. The implication is if you hear the word but don't do anything with it, it's like you're building on sand. We're, good, we're to be hearers of the word, not just doers of the word. And, and that's really been challenging me this week. I want to stir our hearts this morning. How do we get from this, these, you know, any concept that we have of God where we, where we just, where we see something written in the word and we think, yes, that's wonderful, but we don't put it into practice, actually just becomes religious belief for us. And God isn't interested in religious belief. He's interested in transformation. He's interested in lives that reflect his glory, that take him at his word and step out in his word and speak life and truth to all those around. It's in, he's interested in people that reflect who he is in word and in deed. Ah. And so we've got this, this, this thing. How do we get from this great, wonderful concepts that God's speaking to us into a lifestyle that actually reflects the truth of that? And that's what the Bible calls renewing your mind. I want to talk a little bit about that today. You know, in uh, 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to just sort of jump around a little minute, not literally, but I might jump around, who knows. But in the, in the Bible, I'm going to jump around a little bit. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, it says this, the second half of it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Matthew 10, Jesus said the, the, the devil is the enemy, he's, he, he's come to rob, steal, steal, kill and destroy. The word that Jesus uses there for destroy is uh, actually complete destruction. It's like the enemy's come to destroy everything in your life. The, the things that God's speaking into you, the things that he's, he's, that he's done in your life, the enemy's desire is to destroy those things. Right? He's not just for us as individuals, but actually he's destroying our whole world, the world around us. He's destroying it through people. But Jesus says, or John says about Jesus, that the reason that the Son of God was manifested or that he appeared was that, um, that, that, that he would destroy the works of the devil. And the word destroy there is not the same word. What he's actually saying is it means to untie the reason that the Son of Man appeared was to untie the works of the enemy. What does that mean? Well, it means that in each of us, the whole world is in the, was in the grip of the enemy, that each of us in our minds were in the grip of the enemy, and, the, and Jesus on the cross, he's untied us from the power of the enemy. He's untied the enemy's works in our lives. He's brought us into freedom. We're not in bondage. We were singing this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a son of God. I'm a child of God. He's untied us from those bondages. He's untied us from the power of sin. He's untied us from the power of death. He's untied us from the power of the enemy. He's untied us. He's loosened us. We've been set free by the precious blood of Jesus. We're no longer bound by slavery. We're no longer slaves to what we think. In the natural, we're no longer slaves to, the, to the, 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 the world around us. We're no longer slaves to the enemy. We're free in Christ Jesus. He's untied us, right? 
Now you should all be you hollering and whooping and glorying and woo. But we probably, we probably aren't because sometimes we don't feel very free. Sometimes we don't feel like we've been completely set free and that the things that Jesus has done for us really don't quite feel like it. They feel like a battle. Anyone else feel that? And you're just conscious and you're aware of what needs to happen. And you're just aware of your shortcomings and your failures. But the thing is, because Jesus has appeared to untie us and we've been untied by the blood of Jesus on the cross, we actually don't have to live that way. We get to live in a place of ongoing transformation of our minds. Right? We've become new creations, the Bible says. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Paul talks about that in Colossians. He says, you've to put off the old self. You were, there was a pile of clothes in your life. There's a pile of clothes on the floor where, where your old life used to be. But now you've put on the new life, which is being renewed. Where? In the knowledge renewed in our minds. And so this battle, that we, the, this, this life that we have is this, this life of being renewed, of walking out of the thinking that we've been involved in, taking, leaving the grave clothes on the floor and walking out into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. But the thing is, we don't ever get there, we just keep walking. We just keep walking. We're walking with Jesus and we're walking into his freedom, but it's an ongoing thing. So let's have a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm, you're gonna, most of you are going to heard this message many, many times before, and I just want to just stir your faith. I want to remind you of what God is doing in us and amongst us and what God wants to do. You know, he has plans and purposes for us that are going to blow our minds. The only thing that's holding us back is our own minds. The only thing that's holding us back from what God wants to do amongst us is our own internal belief. That's contrary to the word of God. But the good news is that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to untie our minds from the work of the enemy. And to set us free from demonic realm. And to set us free from thinking that is worldly. And to bring us into the glorious thought to thought, life to life, spirit to spirit, enjoyment of God himself. And so... Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We've been doing that this morning already in worship. I don't have much, but I have a heart that beats for you. What have we got to offer the Lord? A yes, an obedience. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed, made into the pattern, follow the pattern and the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Slightly odd voice just then, sorry. The renewal. I'm just saying what you all heard. Because we're free, we're to not be conformed to the world. Because we're free, 
we get to be transformed. Let's just talk a little bit about that. There's a world of difference between outward conformity and inward transformation. You know, when you become a Christian, God's not looking to make a better, you a better version of yourself. Now you have to die. Because the version of you outside of Christ isn't much good. It's dead. It's in slavery. It's sin. You're, 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 you're no good for anybody. I'm no good for anybody outside of Christ. He's not looking for a better version of ourselves. He's actually looking for a complete transformation of us. And it's an ongoing thing. So the word that in the Greek that he's using for the, for the transformation, many of you will know, actually is the same word that we use, the word metamorphosis. You know, as a butterfly, caterpillar moving to a butterfly. What Paul's saying here is don't be conformed, don't be made after the pattern of the world, don't come into the scheme or the schema of the world, the blueprint of the world. Come under the blueprint of heaven, which is to be transformed, which is to be metamorphosized, which is basically to say you're going from a caterpillar of one nature to a butterfly of another nature. Completely completely transformed and new, transformed. Actually, that word, the transformed, is the same word that describes Jesus in Matthew 17 as transfigured. You know that story, Matthew 17, where Jesus is, goes up the mountain with, Matthew, with um, James and John and Peter, and he goes up the top of the mountain, and there's this cloud that comes, and they see, um, all of a sudden, the disciples see Jesus, and he's transformed before them. He's transfigured. His appearance has changed. He's now looking bright white. They can't look at him. It's like his clothes are brighter than even the, the brightest wash can wash, right? It's better than Tide. It's like he's been washed in tide plus infinity. And he's full of light and, and they, they, they can't see. Him. And Peter, you know, he's full of fear. That he's, but because, and they, they see Elijah and Moses with him. But he's transfigured. He's transformed. They get a glimpse of who he really is. They see his glory. It's the same word that Paul's using here. Don't be conformed. Don't look like everyone else. Look like you really, who you really are. Be transformed in your mind and in your thinking. But that, that word is an ongoing thing. So again, I'm saying, I want to remind you, church, this is an ongoing process. To be transformed, to not be conformed, to not think certain ways, but to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. So when we hear a message like Duncan's last week saying, we need to understand our true identity and we need to see everyone else in our true identity, I go, yay. And then I think to myself, but Lord, because of all the issues of my life, I just sometimes still find it hard to see people as they truly are. I just see them in judgment. I judge them based on what they wear. I judge them on based on what they look like. I judge them whether they have certain piercings or tattoos or whatever. I might not judge them in a bad way or a good way. I just judge them. I make an opinion about them. How do I get from the place of, 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 not, making an, of, of not making an opinion and then feeling like I'm failing? Well, the process is the renewing of the mind, the transformation of the heart. You know, as humans... We primarily act of what, out of what we believe. You could actually say you are what you believe, right? The way that you operate, the way that you move, the way that you act comes out of the, 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 the belief. In our, our behavior is primarily sourced in one or more of our beliefs, right? We believe a certain thing, we do it. Now, I don't know if you've noticed about belief that it's, and you could define belief as the degree to which one is ready to act as if something were true. 
The problem with my belief is it very often trumps my theology. Because I can read in the Bible that I'm a son, but then I come to the, the moment where I'm feeling under pressure about something or a difficult relationship or, you know, I've got some issue in my life that I'm struggling with and I no longer feel like I'm a son. I don't, well, I, I might feel like it, but I don't act like it. If, say, Ash and I are having a disagreement and I think I'm a son and I'm acting like a son, but when we have a disagreement, I no longer act like a son. I start to become like an orphan. What's happening there is that my belief is trumping my behavior, my, my theology. What I'm believing about myself causes me to act in a way towards Ash. What I'm believing about Ash causes me to respond in a way that's sometimes negative towards Ash. Because it's not about my behavior as much as it is about my belief. We get that? Yeah. And so it's a conviction, it's a persuasion. And where do they come from? Well, they come from my family and my culture. They come from my upbringing. They come from my doctrine. They come from my theology. They come from my expectations and perceptions of experiences. They come from the devil. My thinking, shaped by all of those things. And where there's sometimes at odds with my thinking between what God says and what my thinking, what my experience says, generally what happens is If I'm not careful, my thinking overwhelms my theology. And so the Bible calls that doubt. You know, I've been reading quite a lot and asking the Holy Spirit recently to to speak to me about faith. And I was thinking about that. You know, um, what's you know, in one sense, you could say the opposite of faith is doubt. It's really a belief in the wrong thing. It's actually a belief that that you know, if I'm struggling. In, in moments to feel like God is my father, the thing is, it's not that I'm struggling with God as my father, it's that I've got a belief that God is something else first. Right? Often what we struggle with is because we're believing in the wrong things. And, and the Bible calls that doubt, but I was interested to look at the word doubt in the Greek. It can be translated in the sense of to hesitate, which is probably what most of us would think about, right? I'm doubting. Oh, I'm, I'm hesitating. You know, we talk about doubting Thomas. He was hesitating to believe that Jesus was who he really was really alive, right? He was, he was hesitant. You know, God speaks to you and says, hey, I want you to go over there and prophesy over that person. Your first thought might be doubt. Uh, I'm a bit hesitant. Do I want to go and do that? They might make, you know, they might, I might get it wrong or they might laugh or whatever. We would classically think about that as doubt, right? But it can also be translated as this. In the Greek, in the Bible, it's translated as to evaluate discerningly or to judge, to contend with or to dispute, to mark something as different from something else, to distinguish something or someone as superior. So what is, it, what, what is doubt then? What doubt is really saying is my belief in that moment is superior to what God thinks. I judge what's happening right now as superior. Or, I judge the word of God as inferior to the external circumstances that I see around me. 
there's a judgment that's going on. It's not just that I'm hesitant. I'm actually making a decision or a discernment or a judgment or I'm contending with the truth in my heart. And I'm actually saying, no, your truth, Lord, isn't quite true. My truth is more true. I'm contending with it. I'm battling for it. There's this battle for the mind. Paul's saying, hey, listen, don't be conformed. Don't, don't, you know, you, you've got the spirit on the inside of you. Don't battle and lose and doubt. There's a war in us that causes us to evaluate or to mark one belief as superior against another. And Paul's saying, here's what I want you to do, everybody. I want you to be so full of God in your mind that God's evaluation, which is in you, is more important than your beliefs. And that's what we call faith. That I put God and his perspective and his opinion before I put my own perspective and my own thoughts and my own opinion ahead of that. Be transformed. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak deeply to our beliefs. To change our thinking. To transform us in our thinking. So that we're not conformed. So that we're not judgmental. So that we're not critical. So that we're not angry. So that we're not full of grumpiness. So that we're not lacking in peace but we're full of anxiety. So that we're not rude and untempered, so that we're not bossy and proud, prideful, so we're not fearful, but we're just like Jesus. Who wants to be like Jesus? The Holy Spirit is with us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, many of you would know that in interesting tense. The command is be transformed. It's like a command. Hey, listen, everybody, be transformed. Do it, right? But the tense is passive. It's going to happen to you. It's like, what? How does that work? How do I be transformed when I can't do anything about it? Anyone else find that strange? But he's saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we get transformed? Well, we receive the truth. John 8, 32, Jesus says this, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, it's possible to say that not all truth transforms. Not all truth sets us free. You know, we can have a thought, we can hear the truth like last week, three weeks ago, about you know, the power of the tongue, and yet, and no, okay, God, God, we have the power of life and death in the tongue. Let's speak life. And we can have that truth, but actually it not penetrate our hearts. And so we still go on thinking and speaking negatively about things. We can have that truth that we are children of God, and yet we continue to walk around feeling like no one's looking out for us and that we're actually just orphans. And it's not like there's a switch where one moment we are good and then the next moment we're bad and the next moment we're good. It's actually for most of us a a gradual progression in various things in our lives where we're actually getting transformed from one way of thinking to another. And Jesus is saying, well, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So why doesn't all truth set us free? 
I think it's because we actually, sometimes we don't believe the right things about truth. We can use truth incorrectly. The first, fun, the first way we can make, use truth incorrectly is that we see truth as the main function of truth is to show me what to do. Jesus says, don't commit adultery. Okay, good, I've got to not commit adultery. And then he goes, well, by the way, if you look at someone lustfully, then you've committed adultery. Far out, that's hard. Because it's gone from the realm of action to the realm of thought. And so I've got to think about, okay, the truth, the truth, the truth is, uh, okay, the truth is telling me what to do. Show me what to do. Okay, the truth is all about the good things that I can do and the bad things that I can't do. That's what truth is all about. Truth is the rules and regulations that say I can do one thing, but I can't do another. Truth says you've got to modify your behavior. Okay, I've been told now that I've got power in my tongue. I've got to work on how to speak better. There's a dimension of that that's true. But if we only take truth as showing me what to do, we're actually going to miss the point because behavior modification actually doesn't work. Truth is all about, in this frame of thinking, truth is what should I do, how should I feel, what attitude should I have? And then, oh, by the way, when you fall short, you're in big trouble. Because you've fallen short of the truth again, you muppet. (laughs) And I'm speaking that to myself. You know, and the, and the thing is, if you think about the truth as something what to, showing me what to do, the conflict, when there's a conflict between my head and my heart, my heart is always going to win. My head tells me the truth, the God's truth. My heart tells me my experience. My experience always overrides my, of God's truth, right? And it distorts our understanding of truth and it tells us that it's all about right and wrong behavior. And so we have to be strong and have willpower. But that's not the kind of truth that, Jesus saying, hey, you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. We actually need to internalize our truth. The second thing that we can believe about truth is that the main function of truth is to show me what's wrong with the world. Right? And so that looks like this. Well, you know, I'm hanging out with the wrong people. Or, you know, if, 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 if um, you know, my, or everyone at work, you know, they're not believers. And so I'm in the wrong place. Because if I was in the right place, you know, God says that these guys are sinners, so I, if, you know, they're going to come somehow, their sin is going to rub off on me. I've got to change my situation and my circumstances so I can get in a better place and then I'll be set free in the truth. Or, hey, I, actually the issue is, the problem is my wife. The problem is, you know, that if I could have a different wife, then I'm sure my, everything would be fine. The problem is my job. You know, if I had a different job, then everything would be glorious. The grass always looks greener on the other side. As my boss used to say, but the face in the mirror is always the same. So we can think about truth as showing us right and wrong. We can think about truth as defining what's wrong with the world around us. But actually neither of those things, unless it starts to pierce our thoughts and our minds and our our, um, mindsets, actually they don't transform us. They just make us miserable. Or always looking for something next. We actually have to allow the truth to change our belief system. In order to be transformed into the image of God, what's in our minds that's out of alignment with the truth has to line up with the truth.
So how do we do that? <laughs> ah, simple. I've got a three-step process. <laughs> Two prayers and a Hail Mary and you'll be fine. <laughs> but actually, joking aside, it's actually hard, but it's fundamentally important. Because the things that the Father wants to do in and amongst us are reliant upon him helping us catch up with his truth and birthing his truth in us. So what does that look like? How does it work? I'll tell you how it works for me. And there's multiple dimensions to it. I'll just take them in no particular order. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 to 9, uh, John, he says, If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So the first thing that we need to do in having our minds renewed is being very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and walking in, re- in repentance as much as he opens up our eyes to the issues of our heart. So if I'm, I'm having like these nagging issues with uh, the way that I'm seeing Ash or one of my kids, for instance... The issue isn't I've got to try and do better. The issue is, Lord, I am so sorry that I'm finding Hannah so frustrating. And that I'm closing my heart off to her. The issue isn't Hannah. The issue is me. It's a hard thing for a parent to work through, actually. Because you want to blame your children. Well, maybe I do. But it's about repentance. It's about saying, okay, Lord, I I repent for the judgment. I repent for the false belief. I I repent for putting things of my my experience above your truth. I, I, I repent for my fear. I repent for my pride. And learning how to do that really, really quickly and really, really often. It's not like generally it's not just a one and done. You often have to keep going at something until you get breakthrough. There is breakthrough. But sometimes it takes a while to come to breakthrough. And we, so we keep repenting. We just keep asking the Lord to address the specific sin issues. The other thing that we do is we ask the Lord to address the root causes. And say, Holy Spirit, why is it that I'm still struggling in this area? What does my heart need to know? What is going on? Give me a teaching moment. If it, maybe there's a deeper root of a rejection or abandonment, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And he wants to get to the root of the issue so that we don't continue to walk in the sin, but actually get to the root of the belief, right? For me, worship and intimacy. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, same word, are being transfigured into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How do you want to be transformed? How do you want your thinking to change? Behold his glory. Worship and intimacy is so key, isn't it? When you get that moment where you, happened to me yesterday morning, feeling a bit lethargic, feeling a bit grumpy, feeling like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to preach on. I'm just feeling blah. Have you ever had those moments? Blah. Start listening to some music. Holy Spirit comes. I'm like, Oh, I have a totally different perspective now because I'm gazing on his glory. I sense his presence. There's that intimacy that he has and everything shifts in that moment. So there's addressing the root causes, addressing the sin through repentance, worship and intimacy. Sometimes we actually need deliverance. Sometimes we need the enemy to get out of our lives. 
Sometimes we actually need friends to stand around us and say, hey, you know, I see that pattern of behavior in your life. I think there might be a demon of fear that's harassing you. I think there might be some Freemasonry stuff in your life that's just been holding you back. What we're going to do, let's pray it through together and let's see the Lord bring freedom and deliverance. There's accountability. How do we get transformed? Well, part of that is we submit ourselves to other people and say, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this behavior. I'm struggling with this heart attitude. I'm struggling to, to, to be joyful in this particular scenario or situation. Can you help me out? For me, one of those things, and I, I, we, we've got a, a couple um, in Canada that's sort of doing a bit of mentoring with Ash and I. And, you know, one of those things, we had a session on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm like, one of the things I'm not very good, guys, is I'm not very good at prioritizing my wife. Can you help me with that, please? Can you ask me about it? This is what I'm saying to them. Can you ask me about it? Can you make sure that, you know, when we get together, you just find out whether I've taken her on a date or not? Sometimes we need people to say, hey, listen, how are you doing in that particular area? Reading the word reading it with faith, having encounters with the Holy Spirit, being part of a community where people can stand with you and call out your true identity and say, that's not you, this is really who you are. That thinking is not you. That thinking is below where God's called you to be. Let me call you up into a higher place. And then the squeezes in our lives. Don't you love those things? You know those moments where everything seems to be going wrong? And you're in difficulty and you're in challenge and, you know, you're struggling maybe financially or you're struggling in a relationship or you're struggling with a job that you don't like but God hasn't given you the freedom to go and find another job or you can't find another job. Maybe you just can't find a job and you're in this season where you're just getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. Most of us, we like to run away and go, ah! But actually those moments are the moments where we're getting transformed in our thinking if we allow the Holy Spirit to move. In in Psalm 4 verse 1, you can translate it, it says this, that you enlarge me in the narrow place. How do we get transformed in our thinking? Well, the Holy Spirit boxes us into confined circumstances and we have to work really hard to find his presence and find his joy and find his peace. And it doesn't feel like fun at the time, it feels miserable. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12, afterwards produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. God will use everything and anything to transform our thinking. He will use our lives. He will use our circumstances. He will use other people around us. He will use the Holy Spirit. He will use the Word. He will use freedom to actually bring that truth from the realm of head knowledge into our heart to set us truly free. That's what I want. That's what I want for all of us. I want, we want to have a community of people that are free to be all that God's called them to be. To be pure in heart, to be clean, to be not waylaid by the sins of the world or issues of life, just not waylaid by just feeling like we're not good enough, but actually to be be seeing ourselves in the way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit see us and to step into the greater realms of the more of the Holy Spirit. Don't be conformed to the thinking of the world. Be transformed. 
Don't get stuck in your negative thinking. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring you into a place where positive joy is natural for you. You know that our, our brains were wired for, to live in joy, but the default setting at the moment because of sin is actually anxiety. But our brains were wired to live in joy. We just have to train ourselves by allowing the Holy Spirit, by partnering with him to say, come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Just another reminder this morning, church family, keep going, keep on keeping on, keep asking the Holy Spirit, keep pressing in for intimacy, keep looking to him for transformation, keep in the word, keep in worship, keep going because those are the things that actually what the Lord is about is not just helping us a little bit with our sin, he's actually helping us to transform, come into a new whole transformed life that we are absolutely powerful and dangerous to the dominion of darkness around the world. That we step into the righteousness of Christ who is on the inside of us. That we step into his holiness and purity where we live in the joy and the peace of heaven. Not because we're trying really hard, but because we're just saying, Holy Spirit, here I am, come and get me. So if that's you, you want the Holy Spirit to come and get you, just right where you're sitting. Just say, Holy Spirit, come and get me. I think it's Isaiah 26. It says, in repentance and trust is salvation. Two things. Repenting and then saying, Lord, everything that I need is found in you. So I trust you. It's not out there. It's not in some how-to manual somewhere. Everything that I have is in you. And you are on the inside of me. So I have hope that you're going to bring me into the life that you've called me to. But it actually requires some discipline. actually requires some thought. It actually requires some intentionality. Don't stop. If you've got some challenges in your life, don't stop until you see the breakthrough. Because God is the God of the breakthrough. If you feel like you're living short of what he's called you to, don't let that be something that causes you to step back and to say, I, I, don't, I can't do it, I haven't got what it takes. You have everything that you need in the Holy Spirit. Right. You might not get it instantly. You might not change dramatically overnight. You might, because he might encounter you and everything could completely shift and turn upside down in a moment. Or it might be day after day, step after step, line upon line, moment upon moment, where you're actually seeing as you behold him, as you read, as you experience life, as you're in the community, actually see that life of God, the incorruptible seed that is his on the inside, bursting forth in life in you. That's my prayer. That's my hope. That's my, that's my faith. I also want to invite you to stand. I'm going to read to you, actually want to read to you 2 Peter, chapter 1, just by way of reminder. So just you can close your eyes and I want you to read, just let this wash over you. 
This is speaking of you. So if you want to, you could put, maybe you could put your hand over your heart if you'd like to. But you're just, we're taking this whole, told of this by faith. Peter's writing, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. I want to remind you, you have the same faith as the apostles. Your faith is of equal standing with Peter, James, and John. Why? Because it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's his faith. It's his righteousness. I want to remind you. I know I've spoken about that recently, but I want to remind you of that. It's his faith and his righteousness in you. And then he goes on to say, may grace and peace be multiplied, not just added, not just in addition, but a multiplication to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's lay hold of this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It's the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus is where grace and peace is multiplied to you. It's the knowledge of him who's called you to his own glory and excellence that releases his divine power that pertains to all things of life and godliness. It's the very great and precious promises that he's spoken over your life that have caused you to become a partaker of the divine nature, that you've escaped from the corruption that's in the world. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or excellence, with virtue, excellence, with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you this morning that his divine nature is with you and in you. That you have received all that you need for life and godliness. That you have the power for victory over sin. That you have the spirit on the inside transforming your mind. That you have the knowledge of Jesus and from that knowledge of Jesus and of the Father, you are being transformed. And I bless you to take your willpower and to say, yes, I'm going to make every effort to add to what God is doing in my life. I'm going to make every effort. to partner with the Holy Spirit, to walk in glorious realms of freedom.